0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Rez. Uh, it's so good to be with you and worshiping with you once more. Uh, we uh, uh, want to spe- extend a special welcome to anyone who might be new this morning. If you're new, uh, you're most welcome to be with us this morning. If uh, be- Before you leave, make sure to say hi to one of us. Uh, we'd love to just catch up and just get to know you a little bit. So thank you so much for being with us. Uh, this morning. Today begins the long, long season of ordinary time. You guys, if you've been around for a while, you know ordinary time. It's this long stretch of time in the church year that begins today and takes us all the way to Advent in December. But this is no ordinary season, as we come, as you, if you think about ordinary, the word ordinary—it's not there's no ordinariness about ordinary time. Yes, it is true that we have just come through some of the high seasons of the church: Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and we love these seasons, right? Because they tell this story of the gospel of the kingdom and God's saving work in the world. But ordinary time is actually should be uh, kind of understood. Something more like ordered time. That's actually the root. Is it's ordered time. It's the time of our church year where we heed the words of Psalm 90 and we ask God to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Some like to call ordinary time, and it's not just ordered, but it, a lot of people like to refer to ordinary time as the great green growing days. Because it is a season of life where we focus our attention on the slow and simple work of discipleship and growth in our relationship with God. Yes, we have the high and mighty and exciting and memorable high seasons of the church like Christmas and Easter. But we also have the mundane and the ordinary seasons of life where we are called into, as Eugene Peterson likes to call it, the long obedience of following Jesus. This season, if you're not familiar with Mother Tish's work, uh, her book, The uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary, she gets after this kind of the mundane, seeking God and seeing God in the mundane and ordinariness of our lives. It's a great book for ordinary time. So if you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to pick it up. Of course, this this idea of ordinary time and the great green growing days would make a lot more sense if we actually had our green vestments on, right? But we actually kick off ordinary time with a high season. It's a feast day of the church. It's called Trinity Sunday, which is why we're still decked out in white. Feast days, I don't know if you're familiar. For those of you who might be new, uh, feast days are special days that mark our church calendar. Where we celebrate particularly special events in the life of the church. So things like Christmas and Epiphany and Easter and Pentecost, All Saints Day, and Trinity Sunday are all feast days. So we, we deck ourselves out in white and red and all these special colors for these feast days. In our case today, we are celebrating Trinity Sunday as a way to kick off ordinary time, where we celebrate our belief in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now you may know, if you know anything about the idea or the concept or the reality of the Trinity, you may know that the Bible never actually uses the word Trinity And it doesn't do a ton of work of developing the concept of the Trinity, save for a few places in Paul's letter or in our reading from the Gospel of John this morning. But in the early church, there was a good deal of time and energy focused on understanding the nature of God in three persons. We get this. Every every week we come together and we say the creeds, right? Last week in our baptism service, we said the Apostles' Creed, Every other week of the year, we, we say the Nicene Creed every uh, Sunday morning in our worship. And these creeds are Trinitarian in their form, right? We believe in God, the Father Almighty. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. So early on in the life of the church, much time and attention was given to understanding this tradition that was passed down from the apostles about who god was the trinity and how we can speak of god in many ways and this is a little bit of a mini history lesson uh this is this was like uh culminated in the popularization of the athanasian creed sometimes churches will actually say the athanasian creed on sunday on the trinity sundays Uh, we actually have done it at res before you might have remembered that if you've been around for a while And I'm just going to read a portion of the Athanasian Creed. It's a long creed, so I'm not going to do the whole thing, but I just want to read you a portion of it to give you a sense for this is what the early church kind of thought, and this is how they were developing our understanding of God. It goes like this. We worship one God in trinity and trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. So we get these these creeds that help us to understand this full complexity of the Trinity, right? Not really, actually. It's, It's complicated. There's a... The the doctrine of the Trinity is a complex mystery. We can read the Athanasian Creed and still kind of be like, "I, I don't totally get this. There are stories of theology professors in seminary giving students the task of finding a way to describe the Trinity by some analogy. And always and everywhere, these students end up failing that work. Because there's no perfect analogy for it. Truly understanding the Trinity, it is a mystery. It is a sacred mystery on display, but that doesn't make it any less important in our lives as Christians. And we see this in our gospel reading this morning, as Jesus gives his farewell discourse to the disciples in John 16. If you're not familiar in the in the Gospel of John of the farewell discourses, they are a set of chapters from uh, John 14 roughly to John 17. That, that give witness to some of these final moments that Jesus has with his disciples before he goes to the cross. In the upper room, after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and we have this, this, this event, the Last Supper, right, in the upper room, Jesus has this conversation with his, with his disciples. And just imagine this scene in the upper room. The disciples knew Things were coming to this uncertain end with Jesus. He had previously foretold of his death. And now he was talking about how one of his disciples would betray him and another one would deny him. And if it were me in that room, I would be terrified. Like, What is happening? And Jesus knew this. He begins chapter 14, this farewell discourse to the disciples with the simple words, let not your hearts be troubled. That's the beginning of this farewell discourse. If you want to understand the context of our reading for today, if you want to understand this farewell discourse from, from Jesus to the disciples, this is the context. Everything that comes after that, the whole context of our reading for today is, is founded upon this simple entreaty from Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. N.T. Wright describes it this way, that the doctrine of Trinitarian thinking that we're thinking about today as 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 we come on Trinity Sunday, the doctrine of Trinitarian thinking in the New Testament is designed to help in time of need. Let not your heart be troubled. It is in this context that we bear witness to how Jesus talks about the Trinity, and helps us to understand why the Trinity is so important in our lives as believers. So for the next three chapters in John. So 14, 15, four chapters. 14, 15, 16, and 17. Jesus in these farewell discourses weaves in and out about talking about the Trinity. He reveals a whole lot about he, how he and the Father relate to one another. He talks about how, how his, uh, the sending of the Spirit is going to come right after he leaves And this is why Jesus prays in John 17, Holy Father, keep them in your name that they may be one. And like I said, he introduces the Holy Spirit here for the first time in the Gospel of John. He is the one who is going to come after Jesus to be with the disciples into the future. Chapter 16, verse 13, our our reading for today, he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So if you look close enough here to our reading this morning, you'll see that. Jesus in these farewell discourses is painting a picture of the Trinity not as some theological abstraction that we ascribe to because we're Christians. Jesus isn't offering a systematic theology here. Jesus is describing the nature and relationship of the triune God here in John 16 not as theological abstraction, not as some interesting doctrinal truth that we believe but is an actual concrete means of hope to an anxious people facing an uncertain future. In other words, Jesus' depiction of the Trinity in the farewell discourses is entirely pastoral. This is where we see Jesus, the pastor and the shepherd. And it is here that we actually see the logic of the Trinity at play. The disciples have been with Jesus ever since he first called them to follow him. Three years of life and ministry together. Them witnessing his incredible love and healing power. And they had come to believe that he was the Messiah King who had come into the world. At the center of this story for the disciples was Jesus, the Son of God, right? And here in the farewell discourses, he affirms this reality by connecting his work with the creator of the universe. Chapter 14 in the farewell discourses, chapter 14, verse 10, it says, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Or in our passage for today, Jesus proclaims the good news that all that belongs to the Father is mine. Whereas this is good news. We do not believe in a God who created the universe and then left it to its own ends. God did not author forth the cosmos, the world, the earth, and then shake his hands and say, now you're on your own. No, today we proclaim the good news that we have a God we claim as Father, that Jesus proclaimed as Father. The creator of the entire universe is the same God who cares for his creation, who is actively involved in its care, like a father cares for his children. The God who created the world also continues to sustain the world. And this sustaining work in the world is revealed within the Trinity itself. The Father who loves his creation and calls it good. The Son who was sent into the world to redeem the world by his life, death, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who was sent after Jesus and continues this work of restoring and renewing and sustaining the world. N.T. Wright articula- articulates us this, this way, and I, I'm paraphrasing you right here. He says, God, the creator and sustainer of the world. Jesus, the son of God and Messiah king who incarnated and brought redemption and kingdom to the world. And now spirit who animates and brings life and makes God's life and Jesus' presence available to us now. And here I want to focus in on just one more aspect of the Trinity that is revealed in our farewell discourses this morning. As Jesus addressed the disciples here, we don't just witness a God in three persons who is at work in the world restoring all things and sustaining all things, but we also bear witness to a Trinitarian life that is made available by the Spirit to you and I this morning, right now. In other words, the Trinity is not just something to be believed. It is not just a creed that we recite every week when we come to church. The Trinitarian life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is offered up that we might actually share in it. It's not something that happened long ago. It's available to us now. So that we might participate daily in the divine life of God for the sake of the world. In our SHAPE class, if you've taken our SHAPE class, um, one of our, our discipleship classes here at Res, we talk about how Christian discipleship is not, isn't merely ascribing to a set of cognitive beliefs like the doctrine of the Trinity. Nor is, it, is discipleship just mere moral performance. We do the right things as Christians, right? At the end of the day, discipleship isn't about believing the right things or doing the right things Disci- discipleship is about participating in the divine life of God, the Trinitarian life of God. This is what we see in our passage this morning. The Spirit of truth will take what belongs to Jesus, which is itself the true revelation of the Father, and he will share it with Jesus' disciples in the world. And so N.T. Wright is absolutely spot on when he says that the doctrine of the Trinity is not only the best we can do to speak about God, but it is also the foundation of our Christian spirituality. It's, it's the day-to-day life. The Trinitarian, the way we think about the Trinity affects the way we live every single day. Our whole life as a church here at Rez, everything that funds and energizes and empowers our life together as a church finds this source and the Trinitarian life of God. This is the message that Jesus brings to His disciples in that upper room on Monday, Thursday. The triune God is at work in the worlds, And the triune God is at work in, in you and in me. And will watch over you and empower you and help you in time of need. The doctrine of the Trinity on that day was a word that they desperately needed to hear, the disciples in that room. And like the disciples in that room, we too find ourselves living in the midst of uncertainty and fear. And in some cases, maybe for you, it's despair. Just as the disciples faced all of these things as they were facing the prospect of Jesus leaving them, how easy is, is it for us to live our lives wondering, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in the midst of a world of violence and greed? Where is Jesus in the midst of our uncertainty and our despair and our fear? And I don't think I have to ask you, what is your uncertainty? What is your fear? You know what that is for you in your life, right? Right? You're probably faced with it even now as you sit here. And the good news is that Jesus has a word for us, just like he did with the disciples. He has a word for us as we face uncertainty and fear and despair. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, for I am with you. That is the doctrine of the Trinity summed up. Do not let your hearts be troubled, for I am with you. And the life that is found in the triune God that the disciples bore witness to in that upper room is available to you this morning. You don't have to face the world alone. And I cannot think of a better way to kick off ordinary time than with Trinity Sunday. This reflection as we enter this long season of discipleship, these great green growing days that I talked about earlier of ordinary time. There is no greater reminder That our discipleship and our life together as a church can only be found and sourced and funded by this Trinitarian life of God. In Jesus' own words in the Farewell Discourse, he reminds us of this ultimate truth. When he talks about the vine and the branches. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.